Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Today, we reignite our conversation in order edema. Last season, educator Cora Okema spent time talking with a farmer and a vet regarding their experiences with these disease, and that episode is still available for you to check it out. However, today, she will continue the conversation with a researcher from the University of Guelph that has also developed some of the novel research on that field. So let's talk about otter edema. Cora, take it away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode with me, Cora Akma, along with Emma Morrison from the University of Guelph. Thank you for coming on the show today, Emma. Thank you for having me, Cora. To start things off, Emma, could you please tell us about yourself and your background in dairy, your education, what you're working on now? So I did my undergrad in a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture Animal Science at the University of Guelph. I then moved into my master's at Guelph as well and completed my master's in uh, 2017. I had a very limited uh, dairy background to begin with. So my dairy experience actually came from my master's thesis when Stephen asked me to do a project with him in the Department of Population Medicine. Um, I jumped in with both feet and kind of improved my uh, dairy experience from there. Very nice. So uh, what are some personal goals with uh, your research and what you do? Ooh, that's a tough question. There's so many goals. <laughs> I guess first and foremost is animal health. Um, we're always striving to improve animal health in any way we can, whether it be from calves to cows, anything in between. I appreciate any research that's looking into their health and well-being, as well as antimicrobial resistance and surveillance so that we can improve what we're using, how we're using it, using it properly. Earlier, I had interviewed both a producer and a veterinarian about their experiences with utter edema. And this time around in this episode, I wanted to bring in the research perspective, which is why I've asked Emma to join us today. Um, Emma, as we were chatting before uh, recording the episode, um, I had mentioned how your work was pivotal in my own research on utter edema while I was out at Colorado State University. And it was a valuable resource for me with many interesting findings, which I wanted to share uh, with our audience today. As a quick recap, uh, a simple explanation for utter edema is that it is a non-infectious swelling of the udder uh, that occurs during the close-up and fresh period, which is also known as the transition period. So the swelling is actually lymphatic fluid that is trapped within the tissues of the udder and visually, we can tell when a cow has udder edema when the medial cleft ligament or the cleft of the rear udder begins to soften. So, Emma, before we get into the nitty gritty of your work, um, how did you get involved in studying udder edema specifically? It's kind of a funny segue to it, but the study itself resulted because of a hypothesis from my sponsor on my thesis project. So we were looking at providing a B vitamin supplementation, and then they had a hypothesis that we wanted to look at closer effects of B vitamins on utter edema as well. So that took me down the rabbit hole of utter edema <laughs> and what, how um, utter edema affects clinical disease, ketosis, um, milk yield, and reproduction. 
That's awesome. And yeah, I, <laughs> I like how you said it take, it took you down the rabbit hole of utter edema because that is, that is a very true statement of just the nature of utter edema and, and the research surrounding it. And so could you give us a brief overview of your study? Yeah. So as I said a moment ago, um, the utter edema study was a part of my larger study for my thesis where we uh, collected data over a one year on three commercial dairy farms with a randomized controlled trial of dietary supplementation of B vitamins. So our objectives of the utter edema study was to determine the association of utter edema with the incidence of health disorders, uh, milk yield, and reproduction in dairy cows during early lactation. So we looked at roughly 1,300 cows uh, from one week before to three weeks after calving, and utter edema scores were taken weekly from the week before calving to three weeks after calving. And then we looked at um, reproduction and clinical disorders as we went on with the other project and used that data as well into the utter edema data or utter edema study, sorry. <laughs> you had mentioned health conditions. What were all the health conditions that you looked into within this study? Because I remember um, it was subclinical ketosis. Uh, what were some of the others? Yeah, we looked at uh, subclinical ketosis, retained placenta, milk fever, metritis, displaced abomasum, clinical mastitis, and then culling as well as purulent vaginal discharge. And those were the ones that we looked for associations with utter edema specifically. And what were your findings? Did you, did you find any associations between those with utter edema? For ketosis, we found cows with utter edema had higher concentrations of beta-hydroxybutyrate in the blood at week two and week three. So there is increased prevalence of ketosis at week two in cows that experienced utter edema, which was interesting. Um, we also saw a higher incidence risk of clinical mastitis in early lactation. We didn't see anything else that was uh, significant to utter edema, but those were the two main ones that we did see. Okay. And then you had mentioned um, looking into milk production. Did you have any findings if uh, milk production was affected by the incidence of utter edema? We saw a significant difference at the first test day for DHI milk tests, mm -hmm. where cows with utter edema only in the prepartum period produce less milk than cows with utter edema in only the postpartum period, or if they had utter edema in both pre and postpartum periods. I'm, I'm really curious, and this is kind of a question just off the top of my head, but do you have any theories as to why that may be? It could be in part due to the inhibition of milk secretion or increased pressure in the udder. There's really, we really need to do more research in udder edema and to see truly to understand the underlying mechanisms of udder, udder edema and like its association with everything. Mm -hmm. So that would just be a kind of a thought point that that would be the reason for it. But again, so much more research is needed. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> to understand it. Yep, absolutely. I, I feel the exact same way because there's, there's so much that we have an idea, but we don't have the full picture. Exactly. And, and we just, we need to do that deep dive to really understand what's actually going on there. Right. And we could speculate all we'd like, but it would be nice to right. have some very thorough work done just to finally figure out why this happens, right? Right. As I was going over your study, 
I came across your severity scale that you and, and uh, the research team had developed. And after had looking at multiple scales in the past, very much appreciated the simplicity of the scale and how well it was built and the definitions and the photos that you guys provided. So could you give me a little bit of the reasoning of how you developed it and why you developed it the way that you did? Yes, so I also reviewed all of those different scoring systems and there were so many scoring systems that were anywhere between five to 10 point scales, which made it so difficult to differentiate between points. So if you really wanted to have a good agreement between raters, so if you had multiple people scoring these cows, it was gonna be very difficult to differentiate between this point versus another point and get an accurate or correct scoring system. So I felt that a four point scale was gonna be robust and easy to implement. It also gave a really clear cut system and you could really see the differences. So a score of zero with no edema versus one, you could see very clearly see the difference instead of having like three more points in between and then not knowing if it's, oh, this score, this score. So that's why we cut down the point scales to four points and it was either zero, one, two, or three. And I found that my, I had raters come out and we did inter-rater agreements and it was highly repeatable. We had high rater agreement between all of our raters. And this shows that the scale can be repeated and easily adaptable to anybody. And it's easy to learn. And that's why I included the pictures and descriptions so that other people could learn how to use it and use it correctly and accurately on farm or in any other research use. And, and you had just answered a, a question that I had where, you know, would it, uh, with how you had built the scale, would you feel that it would be practical for on-farm use? And, and that was something where I was like, you know, a four-point scale, the definitions, the pictures, it's everyone that has a different learning style can use that scale and you can, you know, take it out. You could print it out on a piece of paper and laminate right. it. You don't have to worry about uh, all these different scores. And, and right. so you have your nice, your nice four point scale and you can just walk out in a barn and you could be like, yep, this cows, this, this cows, this, this cows, this. And it's so simple, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> which, which in, in our world, we know simple makes it. <laughs> so. Exactly. It's just like body condition scoring, that kind of scale. It's so cut and dry. This is what score you need. And there's so many aspects to tell you that you have the right scoring. So that's what I was trying to accomplish with the utter edema scoring was a simple yet usable scale that's reliable and that a farmer could pick up if they wanted to, or a veterinarian or anybody in industry could grab it and say, oh, this is easy to follow. I can utter edema score right away. And it doesn't take too long to adapt to the scoring system. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for making that because I, I certainly appreciate it and, and have used it multiple places now that it's in the back of my head. So <laughs> with the level of prevalence of edema, what were your thoughts on it? Did you think it was, you know, average, extreme, low? Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that? I guess I expected utter edema during the transition period to begin with because as they get closer to parturition, fluid changes, fluid moves throughout the body, there's edema buildup. Um, I don't think I realized how long utter edema would stick around um, and stay on the utter. I, I don't know whether I'd know whether I expected it or it was just so novel to me that everything was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that I think that's where <laughs> where I landed with that. Yeah. The big thing that surprised me is that first lactation cows had more prevalence of udder edema than older cows. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. I think it surprised me more that it was the younger ones, just because they're a little more tolerable of things. Where the older ones have been around for a while, but in our study, we saw 86% of first lactation cows had udder edema, where second lactation had 56%, and third and higher had 59%. So that was a very surprising find for our prevalence. Were there um, any other findings that you uh, were not expecting to come across or didn't go in the direction that you were theorizing that it would? I didn't expect to see a difference at the first test day for DHI milk tests, specifically with the cows that had udder edema pre-calving. I assumed that cows that had udder edema after calving may have some milk yield changes or reduced milk yield. But because it was due to pre-calving, you never really think about it in that aspect. But if they have utter edema and then they calve and then they're trying to produce a bunch of milk, maybe they just don't have the space. Mm -hmm. Um, It it calls for more questions to be asked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Following up with that, um, I know we had talked about a couple different uh, research questions that uh, we both have had. Were there any other research questions that you kind of thought of after your research that you're like, man, now I want to know about this and I want to know about that? There was other one other finding in the paper uh, that we found an association of postpartum utter edema with a shorter mean time to pregnancy. And that, that caused more questions for me because it mm. I don't know how utter edema affects uh, time to pregnancy. And I would love to understand that more and find out why that was a big or a bigger effect or Mm -hmm. that we saw an association, which is interesting because they're very, like, they're two different parts of the body. Right. You have to wonder if utter edema was pulling fluids away from somewhere else or why it was causing time to pregnancy to be shorter. Um, That was one of my main questions. I have a I love reproduction. So that was why that uh, question interests me. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to see if somebody along the way finds that out. Yeah, that, that is really interesting because you wouldn't necessarily think, of course, as one biological being, but you wouldn't necessarily think those two would interact with one another specifically. And that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I think it would be very interesting to kind of figure out you know, is it possibly a hormonal thing? Is it, is it, is there something else going on there? Is right. Oh man, (laughs) there's so many questions. And with the nature of research, um, and how it is a wonderful beast (laughs) that we get to, we get to, uh, work with, what were some roadblocks that you faced during this study that caused you to have to adjust your study or change up your methods or cause you to think of like, oh, well, for next time, <laughs> we need to think of this. For this specifically for utter edema side, because it was a part of a bigger study, I didn't really have a ton of roadblocks with the utter edema. Mm-hmm. Um, for the bigger study, there's always challenges in research, as you well know. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially working in commercial settings. So I I really enjoy doing research in commercial settings instead of research facilities because it's more of a, this will happen in real life. Mm -hmm. So 
on my thesis project, we were feeding a, a supplement. So one of the roadblocks there was actually getting it fed or provided properly for farmers or herdsmen following protocols properly if they need to administer treatments, that sort of thing. That Those are things that I've run into along the way. Uh, luckily, my treatment for that project was a top feed on the on the TMR. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too bad. But I think I think that would be a big, big one is things being correctly provided or correctly providing treatments following protocols properly. There's so many different operations and management styles, as well as personnel and differing uh, shifts on farms too. Mm -hmm. So I find like communication is key. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so speaking with everybody, making sure everybody's on the same page so that something doesn't get missed or done uh, incorrectly is probably the biggest roadblock. Having moved into a research technician role, I've been able to gradually improve that process because I know what to look out for and how to keep myself organized and everything ready so that I can quickly rectify a situation if it comes out or I make notes and laminate sheets just so everybody knows what's happening on yep. the farms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I know that all too well where it's like, okay, do we all know what's going on? Are we all understanding what's happening? And do we all know our roles? <laughs> Anybody have any questions? Right. right. <laughs> Please just ask them, ask them now before we start getting into it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In your opinion, and this is totally based off of opinion, what do you think would be the major influencer for producers to really buy into the idea of managing severity levels of utter edema? I think the biggest influencer, so uh, this is my opinion, <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest influencers would definitely be milk yield. So if your utter edema is affecting milk yield and you are seeing reduced milk yield, they're going to want to be on it quickly because mm -hmm. I know we're trying for up in Canada, we fill quota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if we're trying to fill quota and we're just not meeting those needs, then that's something that needs to be looked at. If we're seeing more cases of mastitis, so then we're going to have to treat more mastitis, uh, which causes more antimicrobial resistance. Like there's so many things that fall down the line, in my opinion, that would be the biggest influencers. Definitely. Mm -hmm. You don't want to see a cow not producing well. And then right. maybe there's more health implications than what we found in our study that could be causing the cow just to not to be doing as well. <laughs> right. Right. She's, she's just starting out in, yeah. in, you know, the, the milking herd and you really want to prime her to have that longevity that we're all hoping that we get, uh, with our right. cows. And so, yep. yeah, yep. Absolutely agree. Um, we dress her for success and not have her failure. So, right. Right. Absolutely. That spirit of wanting to find answers to questions. It is infectious, especially <laughs> when you're within a research group that is just like, we're all studying different things, but we all understand one another's projects to a level where it's like, we know the importance of it 
and we're all helping each other out with different projects and, and yeah. it's exciting in that I loved being in that space where I was just like, yes, let's go. You, you kind of have that little hint of save the world in you <laughs> yes, exactly. and it's like, save the cast, <laughs> take care of the cows. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's it's a wonderful feeling and it's nice to meet other people who have that same, I don't know if you want to say genetic makeup or fire in the belly or, you passion. know, just passion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Emma, thank you so very much for being on the podcast with us today. Are there any final comments or things you want to say before we uh, sign off? Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that you wanted to have me on here and have a little look into my research. All I can say is research is the best. <laughs> I, I really do have a good passion for research and especially dairy, dairy research. So follow your dreams, everybody. If you want to get into dairy research, it's definitely rewarding. Well, Emma, thank you again so much for being on the podcast here today with all of us. And uh, the Michigan State University Extension Dairy Team would like to thank you for tuning into our podcast today. And as a reminder, as we had touched on it, farm stress and mental health, uh, please make sure to take care of uh, yourself with that. Uh, Michigan State University Extension does have multiple resources for that, and you can check that out at canr.msu.edu. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good one. Thank you, Cora and Emma, for today's conversation. If you were interested in this topic and have more questions about it, I encourage you to reach out to Cora Okema at O-K-K-E-M-A-C-O at msu.edu to learn more. You can also reach us out at C-A-R-R-A-S-Q-1 at msu.edu. Please join us next week where we will talk about PFAS. Dr. Bradford will spend some time talking about this topic on next week's episode. I hope you'll join us then.